said it this way, if your right hand causes you to sin, what? Cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. Now, I always like to say, God is not a God of amputation. But what he's saying is you got to deal ruthlessly with your sin. Don't play around with it. What most of us do is we, we make a little shrine to it. We find a way to be able to keep it there because we kind of, it's our sin. We like it. We want to do that. Well, it's no problem. You know, it's like, we just, it's just there. Just, it's okay. It's not okay. Some people like to play with fire. It's a fascinating element, mesmerizing to watch, dangerous to handle, and extremely destructive when it gets blown into a dry forest of trees. Sin is like fire. It's alluring, enticing, and fun to watch, but it's dangerous when it creeps into your being and spreads like wildfire. It can feel impossible to stop. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that sin is destructive and it needs to be put out. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 7 as he continues his message, Chosen for Blessing. Many people love the idea of a God of love and they don't like the idea of a God of justice. But I'm here to tell you, God can't be a God of love unless he's a God of justice. And God doesn't want to bring judgment. He does not want to destroy. But sometimes that's where these things land based on the decisions that people make. And you can imagine for the Girgashites and the Hittites and the Canaanites, all these different ites that are there, you can imagine how many times the Spirit of God prompted them to amend their ways. And how many times they said no. How many times they decided against it? What's amazing is, is if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God told Abraham that his descendants were going to be slaves in Egypt for a long time. But when the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorites comes, then he will deliver his people and they will be his instruments of justice. You can go back and read in the book of Genesis. See, God knew the exact time that at that time that he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, it's also time to pay the piper, so to speak, for these nations that are living in rebellion. Now, you got to ask yourself, if God is a God of justice and if justice is part of his perfections, you got to ask yourself, which side of the relational grid are you with God? See, as Christians, you have to remember, we believe in Jesus because Jesus received the just punishment for our sins. That's the gospel. The gospel is that the punishment that I deserve, God gave to Jesus in my place. And the punishment that you deserve, God placed on Jesus in our place. And we allow Jesus to receive the judgment that we deserved, and God allows us to receive his righteousness that we never deserved. And we got to make sure we don't take that for granted. That we don't make that a small thing. That we, to use the phrase of the book of Hebrews, that we don't neglect so great a salvation. Take it lightly. Be like, oh, you know, I was talking to someone just recently and they said, well, you know, like, you know, I, like, I just don't know why 
we have to take Jesus so seriously. And I'm like, he died in our place. Like, how do you like blow that off? Like, you can't just be like, oh, you know, he died in my place. But like, what's the big deal? I mean, it's like people do that all the time. No, they don't. Like, it's a huge thing that the Lord did. And sometimes we can make it so casual. Now, I believe that if a person is in Christ, God placed all of the judgment for our mistakes on Jesus. But I'm sure that in a congregation the size of Crossroads here on a midweek, people watching online, I'm sure there's some of you who are like, I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus. And you got to ask yourself, how many things would God be absolutely righteous to pass a guilty verdict on in my life? That's why you need Jesus. That's why. Because if you're self-reflective at all, you realize there's all sorts of stuff. I do all sorts of things wrong. God would rather forgive and bestow mercy than judge But God won't impose that on us. He asks us to invite him in. I want to encourage you to invite the Lord in. All these nations didn't have to be judged. They could have repented and turned to the Lord, and God would have blessed them. But this is the fruit, the outgrowth, the consequences of their decisions. And God is using the children of Israel as part of that. Now, in verse 3, Notice it says this, it says, nor shall you make marriages with them, nor shall you give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and will destroy you suddenly. And then it goes on in verse five to say, but thus you shall deal with them, you shall destroy their altars shall break down their sacred pillars, shall cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Now, if you put all those verses together, most people get hung up on the first verse, that don't intermarry. But the reason why there is a prohibition against intermarriage is given in verse 4 and 5, because they're going to turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. See, the problem with unequal yoking, that's what the Bible calls it, is that when you are unequally yoked, whether it's in a business relationship or in a romantic relationship or in a marital relationship, what happens is, is there is the influence that comes from the people who are closest to you, and that influence God cares about because when we allow ourselves to be influenced to turn away from the Lord, every time you turn away from the Lord, you are turning towards another God, not a real God, not a creator-sustainer God, but some form of belief that keeps us from being the people we were created to be. And so it's about the influence that happens. Now, I wonder right now how many of us, because of unequal yokings in some way, are finding ourselves, our hearts being turned away from the Lord and turning towards other things, other saviors. I was talking to someone like, I, I can't believe you know, the Christian faith would be so narrow that it'd say that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't marry a non-Christian. I'm like, you don't understand Christianity at all. Because... If 
the influence of somebody can turn you from being the person God created you to be to be an abomination to God, that's a pretty huge thing. Now, don't get me wrong. You might say, well, listen, I am married to a non-believer. What do I do now? Well, you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and you love the Lord, and you love that person. It would break God's heart more if you were to leave that marriage because God will use you as a vehicle to bring his light into someone's life. For those of you who are single, marriage is hard. And I'm married to one of the most godly people I've ever met. Make a good decision. Make a good decision. Can I get an amen from all the married folks? Yeah, I was like, woo! Make a good decision. In your relationships, when you're going into business with people, make good decisions. Because it's not about the companion, it's about the worship that comes from the influence of the companion. And God wants us to be godly influences on one another. The Bible calls this building up or edifying where two people are pushing each other closer to Jesus by their relationship. One of the things that Pastor Jennerino, our executive pastor of ministries, always says, he says, when something goes on in someone's life, what happens next is always determined by who's speaking into their life. Something happened and you get lousy advice, which leads to lousy understanding of what's going on. It happens all the time. And Pastor G is so right, because what he's saying is that when something goes on, how you choose to understand what is happening, if you have good influences, they'll give you great counsel. Like when something goes on, someone's like, oh man, this went on and I was so mad. And someone's like, oh, you weren't mad enough. You should have told them off, sister. You know, you get into the whole thing. That's lousy counsel. Where in the Bible, Jesus is like, you should tell them off worse than you did. No. Someone should say, you know, listen, so yeah, you're in the flesh right now. You should forgive that person. You should be long-suffering. That's not a good thing. But you see what it is? We are all influenced, and whatever influences us, it affects the way we worship. It affects what we value. And no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, we all have these influences. And there's no doubts in spousal relationships, within families, there's the strongest influence we know. But what God is concerned about is that we worship him alone. And when we worship him, we become like him. And when we become like him, we get to be salt and light in a world that needs light and seasoning. So that's what he's concerned about here. He's saying, look, if you intermarry, they're going to pull you away. And then when they pull you away, you're going to find yourself under God's judgment just as they are. So when you go in, I want you to wipe out all their wooden altars, break down all their sacred pillars. I want you to take all the carved image. I want you to burn it all. I love this. Don't play around with idolatry at all. Jesus said it this way. If your right hand causes you to sin, what? Cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. Now, I always like to say, God is not a God of amputation. But what he's saying is you got to deal ruthlessly with your sin. Don't play around with it. What most of us do is we, we make a little shrine to it. We find a way to be able to keep it there because we kind of, it's our sin. We like it. We want to do that. Well, it's no problem. You know, it's like we just, it's just there. Just, it's okay. It's not okay. John Owen the great Puritan said, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And that's true. 
If you're playing with it, you are setting yourself up for destruction. And he said, when you go into this land, you're going to be tempted to worship other gods. You need to burn them. You need to get rid of them. You need to do it. And listen, I want to encourage you. If you can't handle having a computer, I want you to throw that thing out. If you can't handle having internet on your phone, you need to take that thing. You need to go get a flip phone. Use it for, it's called a phone. Use it for the phone. You don't need the internet on it. If you can't handle something, then you need to deal ruthlessly with it because nothing is more insane than to play with your own life for sport. It's like playing Russian roulette. And that's why the biblical encouragement is complete annihilation of the things that could hold us back. And I don't know about you guys, we're living in a day and age where there's so much temptation. And I'm here to tell you, your life is of too much importance to mess around anymore. I mean, ain't no one got time for not being all that Jesus died and rose again that we'd be. I mean, God wants to transform the world, and I feel like Satan's got this world in a sleeper hold. And we need to start to take seriously the things God takes seriously. So brothers and sisters, listen, don't play around with this stuff. Deal ruthlessly with it. He says, man, when you go in, you wipe all that stuff out. Get rid of all of it. Let not one trace be left of it because it'll be a temptation. Now, I love this because in verse six, he begins to tell them who they are. See, he was just telling them what to do. Now he tells them who they are. Look what it says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, but because you were the least of all. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." Do you hear what he's saying to him? He's saying, you're a holy people. That word means set apart. It means distinct. It means other. All through the book of Leviticus, you keep hearing over again, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. He's like, look, you're a holy people. You are set apart. You're not like everybody else. You're distinct. I love this. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure. You're God's treasure. Do you ever have something that's your own little treasure? Do you ever have like that thing that it's like every time you see it, you're like, oh, you know? It just gets you super excited. You know, it's funny. Um, ben, who's on our staff, a phenomenal graphic designer, is playing guitar. It's a beautiful guitar. And so I see this guitar. I'm like, bro, that's a nice guitar. And he's telling me, look, it's got this, all these switches on it. And, so, and we were like nerding out, like guitar, you know, musician style. It's like his little special treasure. You know, after he's done playing, he's going to go back. He's going to wipe it down. He's going to make it nice, put it in the case, you know, and pull it out the next day. Like, you all know what it's like, right? Pastor Cecil does it with classic cars, right? <laughs> I remember my first car was a 1974 orange Carmen Ghia. Ooh, yeah, that's my classic car, right? A little VW Carmen Ghia, you know? And I remember, it's like I always come out and I, it was all so sweet. Until someone bumped into it and the whole quarter panel was dented. But that was a whole other discussion, you know? But it's like, 
That's how God sees you. It's like you're his special treasure. Think about when you have a special treasure. Like when people have babies, I love it, right? It's every time the baby moves, there's a picture of the baby, you know? Because it's their baby. It's this special. Like the first time the baby poops, you're like Instagramming. Look at the baby's first poop, you know? You know that we do that as parents, right? It's, I was saying, I'm just so happy my kids weren't little with Instagram. You know what I mean? Because they're your child. And my friends, that's how God feels about us. He's to tell them, look, you're God's special treasure. But I don't think we think about ourselves as God's special treasure. I don't think we really realize that God loves us so much that he sent his own son to die on a cross so that we could be his. Like God paid the ultimate ransom for us. I mean, think about it. That's how valuable you are to God. That is how God feels about you. That is who you are in Christ, that he loves you so much, he'd give his own son just for you with all your quirks and hang-ups and weird stuff that you got. You just imagine the Lord rolling, talking to the angels, like Michael the archangel, like, check him out. Look at him go. Look at him do it. Look at him. They're... She's trusting me. She's trusting me. And the angels being like, and you read the book of Ephesians, and we're literally schooling angels. Literally, the church, the people of God, is like a curriculum to angels of the grace and the glory of God, that God could place his treasure on this totally messed up group of people who he's made white as snow. That's who you are, my friends. That's who you are if you are in Christ. You are God's special people, his own child. And he didn't choose the children of Israel. And he didn't choose us because we were the best or the biggest or the brightest. He chose us because we were the least. And I love that about the Lord. Because the Lord gets glory from choosing the base things and the humble things. I don't mean the base like the rock and the base, slap and the base things. But God did like, the base is his favorite instrument. You just have to know that. Jesus is a bass player because everybody follows the bass player. That's a, sorry. We were talking about guitars and stuff. When God redeems the humble, he gets all the glory. When God uses a broken person to do something extraordinary, he gets all the glory. I mean, think about David. Remember David when he went on out? He literally was not in, even in the army. He was bringing supplies. His dad, Jesse's like, look, All your brothers are in war right now. They're camped out against the Philistines. They're probably hungry. Can you go bring them some food? And David's like, okay, Dad, I'll go bring them some food. You know? And he shows up. And none of the great warriors want to go fight Goliath. They're all the trained guys. Like, this guy's like, hey, I'm a UFC fighter. I'm a this guy. No jujitsu. And I got all this stuff. And I don't go against Goliath. He's a big dude, you know? And then David shows up, he hears Goliath taunting. He's taunting the armies of the Lord. And David gets upset and his brother's like, go away. Who are you? What do you got? And David goes to King Saul, like, I want to go take that guy on. And Saul's like, uh, <laughs> you better put some armor on. And Saul puts his armor on David and David can't even walk in the armor. It's like my two-year-old Annabelle, she loves to wear me and Lynn's shoes. And there's nothing more fun than when a little two-year-old puts on her parents' shoes. You know, it's so awesome. And I just take videos of it, because when she wants to go, when some boy wants to come date her, I'm like, you're not dating her, first off, but this is what she looks like. I'm ruining my kids one day at a time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But that's David. He's like walking out in Saul's armor. He's like, I can't wear this. 
Why do you think God used David to conquer Goliath? Because he was the only guy who's not supposed to be there. He's the one guy who, when it all happens, he can be like, it wasn't me. I'm not even in the army. What am I doing here? Because that's the way the Lord works. I know some of you right now are thinking to yourself, God can't use me. Absolutely he can. Because God does that and that no flesh would glory in his presence. God uses people who don't have it together so that no one can say, oh, that was me. I'm so charismatic. I'm so smart. I'm so strong. God does it so he can say, yeah, I couldn't have done that. Only God can do that. That's the Lord's work. And that's why the Lord set his love upon the children of Israel. And that's why he set his love on us. Not because you're the greatest, smartest, got it all together, best pedigree, straight A's in school. I'm not knocking any of those things. If you're good looking, we're all jealous of you anyway. If you've gotten straight A's in school, we're so proud of you. But realistically, God sets his love on people because God is love. And God wants us to experience his love. And he says, listen, because the Lord made this oath to your fathers, that's why the Lord brought you out. That's why he delivered. And we get this rehearsal again for the millionth time of the deliverance from Egypt. And that you have to realize, the deliverance from Egypt, God's mighty hand and bringing them into the promised land is the defining narrative of the people of God. That you were slaves, God delivered you, and he ushered you into a new future. And my friends, that is the defining narrative of the life of the people of God. We were all slaves to sin, much worse taskmaster than Egypt ever was. God delivers us by a mighty hand through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he brings us into a glorious future, which is eternal life, which is knowing Jesus now and having an eternal life in the hereafter. And that should be the defining narrative of your life. But you know what for many of us it is? Just like the children of Israel, the defining narrative of your life is, I'm a slave. I'm a this. I'm an alcoholic. I have a past. I got this issue. I got that issue. We let the defining narrative be that we were slaves But that's not the biblical defining narrative. The biblical defining narrative is that I used to be that, but God has delivered me by a mighty hand through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and God has a beautiful future for me now and in the hereafter. And it's the whole story, not just part of the story. And I fear that for many of us in the body of Christ, we still see ourselves as sinners who God can love and not as people who God loves who are sinners. We need the whole narrative not just one act of the narrative. And I believe that for some of you right now, the fact that you're focused on one part of the whole narrative is keeping you from experiencing all that Jesus is. Jesus is real. What a powerful statement that you need to re-evaluate who you are defined by God not defining yourself as a slave. Pastor Daniel mentioned today that God died to rescue you from the type of bondage that's slavery. So don't allow yourself to be trapped in those chains of sin. You've been freed from that. Part of why it's so important to read these passages is to remember what God's brought you out of. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? 
Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when you'll get to hear Pastor Daniel discuss what it looks like to have a blessing from obeying. God isn't this being in the sky that's enforcing judgment on all of creation. No, God loves when a person's heart is soft to obedience and he rewards that. But he also wants you to not discount the things that he hates. And yes, there are very specific things that God hates. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Refresh. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.